Last Sunday, if you were here, we, we shared a message, and Raul, can I have that first slide? If you were with us, just something was in stirring in my heart as we put together last weekend's service, and, and it was the idea of make America grateful again. How many were here last Sunday? I, I just want to thank everybody that was involved and brought friends and, and to the Collins who, who really did an amazing job with our worship. But in the midst of that, there's lots of things you could talk about on an Independence Day weekend, but just... Uh, instead of going after all the things that are going wrong and all the division and all the negative stuff around us, sometimes just to stop and say, thank you, God, for the good stuff that's happening. That's a good thing. Amen? And so last week, we, we took some time to do that. And Monday, as I got up and started thinking about this weekend, I was actually going to go a different direction. And I, and I felt like the Lord say, no, stay on the theme. Actually, I, I thanked him when I was leaving Sunday. I was just kind of again touched by the Lord, and I was thanking him for the day and the cool things that happened and a couple of new people I met. And, and I heard the Lord say this, thank you for turning people towards gratitude towards me because of what it does in your life, what it does in my life. And so Monday, I'm thinking about a change. Tuesday, 4th of July, Jan and I turn on TV in the morning, and the Christian television, like three programs in a row, they were talking about the power of words and the power of choice and the power of decision. And so I just got stirred in my heart again to say, I'm going I'm to pick this theme up one more week. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. And I pray some of the things stick concerning the choices we make with, with the attitudes of our heart. This is Deuteronomy 30. There's Out of the 27 books in the Old Testament, when Jesus was walking the earth, he, he quoted mainly out of three books. One of those was Psalms. The other one was Isaiah. And the last one was the book of Deuteronomy. And, and why he chose Deuteronomy is because it was God's plan, his downloading to Moses, the, the different principles and the different structures, how, how to relate to him, how to relate to one another. It was essentially the giving of the law and the definition of the law and how to get by, how to live, how to, to prosper, how to uh, you know, move into this new place, this new land he promised them. When he said, when you go in and you start living in houses you didn't build or, or cultivating lands and, and growing lands that you never really cultivated, he says, when I bring you into this place, this is how I want you to interact with me and other people. And then we get to the end of the book here in Deuteronomy 30, and he lays this out before us, and it's so powerful when you think about choices that God gives us. He says, this day I call, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death. What does he say? Blessings and cursings. Now, what does he tell us to choose? Choose what? Choose life so that you and your children may live. And the word there, live, it comes again from this Hebrew thought of shalom, well-being, prosperity, peace, security. He says there's choices you can make. There's choices you can make in this land, in this life you're living. There's choices that you can make that will bring life to you and to your children. And so when I think about this attitude of gratitude, which is expressed verbally through thanksgiving... Versus the other thing, which can be complaining and murmuring, when, when I think about choices I'm making with my words and the power those words have on my life, my home, my family, my wife, my marriage, when I think about those choices, I was just reminded again this week about the power of gratitude and the power of remembering what we can be thankful for, what we can give God praise for, 
Instead of often, I don't know about you, I'll just talk about me, my propensity to look at what I don't have, what has gone wrong, what the negative things are, how quickly I can latch on to some of that stuff and sour or poison the very life that God wants to produce in me and through us. Anybody with me this morning? Do you kind of get what we're talking about? Read that with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so... And the truth is we express gratitude as well as we express complaining and murmuring with our tongue. And there's life, there's power in our tongue. Now, telling myself that we, we, we've been the last three weeks, like we were at the Young Life Camp, a lot of fun. And then we came home and we went to Minnesota to a conference, a lot of work. And then we came back and we were up in Hume Lake. And at the end of last week or week before last, then we had to take off and be down in uh, Palos Verdes for our niece's wedding. We got kind of a late start, and so we're looking at our GPS, and GPS says you're going to get there at 5.03. The wedding starts at 5. And so we're navigating the side streets, you know, tapping on GPS, new route, new route, come on, new route. And, and I'm stressed, and I'm starting to vent, and some of that's going to my lovely wife, which is not her fault. She's just holding the GPS. She's got nothing to do, nothing to do with traffic, nothing to do with the routing. I'm just getting stressed and that little tongue, pew, pew, pew. And, and just little, I know nobody in here ever gets like that. Nobody. But, but just that little criticism thing starts rising up. And so I've felt that. And here we go, Tuesday morning, 4th of July, the third Christian program. One guy's talking on marriage and the power of your tongue. I, I just really, honestly, I came under conviction and uh, I caught her in the kitchen and I just had to tell her, hun, man, my, my tongue, this bitch been harsh, my tongue. And I, I know, I don't, I don't know, maybe I feel a little overwhelmed or so much stuff in a row, but I, I just had to get that thing right because there's power in our words, amen? And I know this little thing can be the thermostat of my home. It can be the thermostat even in, in our prayer meetings, thermostat in our staff, I want to keep that right. Anybody with me this morning? So your words have power. Use them wisely. Your words have power. With our tongue, we can bless and we can build and we can encourage and we can strengthen. But when our tongue turns sour, when the attitude of our heart gives way to words that are negative, complaining, and murmuring, man, we can suck the life out of a lot of things that God really wants to do. And, and, and we don't want to do that. Amen? So tell your neighbor, quit doing that. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do, don't do that. So Jesus said this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a critical heart produces a critical tongue. A self-righteous heart produces a judgmental tongue. A bitter heart produces an acerbic tongue. An ungrateful heart produces a grumbling tongue. The words you speak will all depend on what's filling your heart. But a loving heart produces a gracious tongue, and a faithful heart produces a truthful tongue. A trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. So as I'm doing a little research on this, I, I, I found an article by Joseph Stoll, and he speaks at the Global Leadership Conference, and, and I also heard him at Promise Keepers, <clears throat> but he says this, and he calls it the sin of murmuring. He said, talking with a Christian doctor about his family... I learned that all of his children were grown and happily committed to Christ and serving in their local churches. The doctor was obviously grateful and relieved that his children had grown in their faith. As a father of three, I was intensely interested in knowing what he thought was the secret to the spiritual maturity of his children. Anybody want to know what it is? Oh, oh nobody does. Well, I'll just... <laughs> no. 
He, he told me this, my wife and I covenanted that our children would never hear us complain or criticize the church, church leaders, or another brother or sister in Christ. In essence, he made a commitment not to murmur. Murmuring is a form of complaining that harbors a negative attitude towards a situation or the people involved. It runs the continuum from griping about the slow driver in front of you to murmuring about the Lord for things he has permitted to come in your life. But the common factor in all murmuring is what? Is a what? It's a, a, a critical spirit. This kind of grumbling carries the potential for great damage and is direct violation to God's will. So, you know, he goes on to say, my friend, my doctor friend wisely realized that complaining should go about God's work or God's people was a direct reflection on the value of God and on his plan. What children want to commit their lives to a church that is a constant object of their parents' complaint? Wise parents teach and model principles of love and prayerful intercession in regard to imperfections around them. Hearing murmuring about the family of God only gives a young child excuses for further rebellion. Ouch, huh? How about what we speak and share and say about one another and about the church? Don't you think it could reflect positively on our kids' opinions? When we started doing missions, one thing, we've had a bunch of missionaries living in our house or staying in our house as they pass through, and, and I, I know our kids got a high value from the mission, for missions and missionaries because of the conversations and the dialogue and the encouragement and hearing the stories, and in them got framed a heart for missions because of the words and the things that they heard around our home. And it still continues. Our son Josh and Michaela are in New Zealand right now. And, and th that, those words spoken in our house help to imprint on them a positive image of ministry, a positive image on, on uh, doing, doing missions. Amen? A monk joined a monastery and took a vow of silence. And after the first 10 years, his severity called him in and asked, Do you have anything to say? The monk replied, Food bad. After another 10 years, the monk again had opportunity to voice his couple words, and he said, bed hard. Well, another 10 years went by, and again, he was called in before his superior, and when asked if he had anything to respond, he said, I quit. And the guy said, it doesn't surprise me. You've done nothing but complain since you've got here. <laughs> well, we're going to go into a familiar story that many of you heard about, and all of us have read, if you've been around for a while, and... Man, it is just the epitome of our words, and when we come into circumstances and situations that God's got intentions for, and, and we miss it, and, and instead of embracing, trying to think it through, get the big picture on it, we can pick up a murmuring heart, a complaining heart. We're going we're gonna to look at the story of the 12 spies that went into the promised land. God told Moses to gather these guys up, and this is the land that they've been waiting for and looking forward to, and it's really one of the hallmark stories of the whole Old Testament, how God wanted to bring people out of the old, out of bondage and slavery into a new life, and this is how it got set up. So I want to just read you, because in, in almost everything we do, there's a couple ways of looking at things. We can look at the glass half empty or the glass half full. We can have a perspective that, you know, this is the promise. This is what God said. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to go after it. Or we can start just dwelling on and let those thought patterns to take hold of the negative and really hinder or abort or destroy the very thing that God wants to do. So this little clip, one guy saying, Moses, the land's full of giants, man. 
And the other guy's saying, yeah, but look at the size of the grapes, bro. And so there's always a couple ways of seeing things. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, come on, Numbers 13. We're going we're gonna to read together. I think this is New Living I'm reading out of. So if you want to read with me, take notes in your Bible. Let's go ahead and do it. So we'll start in verse 17. And when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he told them. So he, he's picked out the 12 guys and, uh, under the instruction of the Lord. And he's telling them, go through the Negev and into the mountain region and see what the land is like, and whether the people living there are strong or weak, or few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Do their cities have walls around them or not? Is the soil rich or poor? Does the land have trees or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So God's just telling them to evaluate. He's saying, go in and spy it out. Get, get a read on where we're going and, and what's going to go on there, so you can anticipate the thing, so you can prepare for it. And so he sends them out to do it. 40 days later, verse 25, 13, 25, they came back from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, and they gave the report and showed them the fruit from the land. This is what they reported to Moses. We went to the land where you sent us. It really is a land flowing with milk and honey, and here's some of its fruit. But... The people who live there are strong in the cities of walls and are very large. And, they, and we even saw the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites live in the Negev. And the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the mountain region. And the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan River. And so some of them saw the blessing of it, the fruit of it, what God had promised. He, he, the the pay, picture God painted and the rest of them started talking about the negative things that would happen. Caleb, one of the brave guys, one of the guys that believe God's word, Joshua and Caleb, he told the people to be quiet and listen to Moses. Yeah, I can just see an impatient guy that's believing God say, come on, guys, chill. You're just going after the negative stuff. He says, let's go. Let's go take it. God said we could take it. But, and we're more than able, he says in verse 30, we're more than able to conquer it. But 31, but the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack those people. They're too strong for us. Who told them that? They're too strong for us. Verse 32. So they began to spread lies. So it starts as exaggeration. It starts with discouragement. And now it's turned to lies. They began to spread lies among the Israelites, Israelites about the land they had explored. See how offense and just negativity can take on another life? They said the land we explored is one that devours those who live there. All the people we saw were very tall. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak or Nephilim. We felt as small as grasshoppers, and that's how we must have looked to them. Man, talk about just a negative report, taking and drawing conclusions so quickly. We're going to unpack it in a few minutes. Numbers 14. Then all the people in the Israelite community raised their voices, cried aloud all that night. Can you see how this thing just snowballs? Or let's see, in the desert, it wouldn't snowball. It would <laughs> dust ball. Verse 2. They complained to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died in Egypt or this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land just to have us die in battle? Our wives, our children be taken as prisoners of war. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, now let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Immediately, Moses and Aaron bowed with their faces touching the ground in front of the whole community of Israel assembled there. At the same time, two of those who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, tore their clothes in despair. 
They said to the whole community of Israel, the land we explored is very good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into the land and give it to us. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. We will devour them like bread. They have no protection, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Amen? But when the whole community of Israel talked about stoning Moses and Aaron to death, they all saw the glory of the Lord shining in the tent of meeting. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to trust me in spite of all the miraculous signs I've done among them? Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community that keeps complaining about me? I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making about me. Look at verse 28, man. This is heavy. If you get nothing, listen, listen what God says. So tell them, as I live, declares the Lord, I solemnly swear... I'll do everything to you that you said I would do. I'll do everything to you that you said I would do. How many believe that could be awesome? That God would do for you everything that he'd promised, and you believe that. But on the other side, how about the other side when you're saying, our wives and children are going to be taken prisoners. We're going to die in this desert. All, all these negative things God had promised, they're saying, no, that's not going to happen. They just glom on to the negative reports and God, in his frustration, says this, then, then it, so be it. it I solemnly swear, everything I'm going to do for you, just as you said, I would do for you. Wow. Well, let's unpack it a little bit. This is, this is what murmuring means. Murmuring really means, and it's an interesting word, murmur, murmur, murmur. Sometimes that's what it sounds like. But murmuring is malicious whispering of slander. And, and this is what got me this week, too. Slander is the action or crime of making a false Spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. When I read this story, God is so big and great and huge, but his principle is to take a people and make them a covenant people and bless them and be their God and, and, and lead them and, and provide for them. And here they are, essentially spreading a false report about God's reputation. They're damaging God's reputation. They're bringing slander to his reputation. He said, it hurts me. I've taken, I've, I've given water from the rock. I've fed a manna. And in this manna, it even says, well, it's like honey and coriander seed. There was a flavor to it. In the desert, three million people, I've taken care of them. I, I've led them through battle and delivered them from their enemies. I've done these things for them. And now it comes to a place of promise where I want to bring them in. And they're slandering my reputation. Essentially, they're saying God's not able to do what he said he would do. And he took it serious. Murmuring can also be fault-finding and complaining. Somebody asked me, we're in pre-service prayer, are we going to pick up our shirts and look at backbiting, where people have been bit on their backs from backbiting? No. And, uh, or, or it can be voiced anger, annoyance, and sometimes it's justified. Like murmuring comes because of unfair treatment. You feel like you've got a bad deal or, or somebody hasn't treated you justly or, or fairly. And so... That murmuring can get a hold of us, and it can result in resentment and self-pity. And in self-pity, I, I was sharing with another pastor friend, actually Tim Morbitzer, many of you know, Tim was our founding pastor. I called him on Friday, it was his birthday. He asked me what I've been teaching on, and we started talking about this, and, and he, he was talking about this whole thing of self-pity, how it's kind of the opposite of gratitude is when we can get stuck in a place 
Certainly bad things happen to people, and my heart grieves for even some of the things that have happened in this room to people. And so I in no way want to minimize the pain and the hurt that people go through. But I would, with all my being, say, be careful when it turns in just an unrelenting self-pity. And he shared a story in Matthew 16 when, when Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he's trying to teach them a lesson. And in that place, he, he says to Peter in Caesarea Philippi, as he brings him into this place, it's a pagan culture, and all kinds of weird stuff happens in this temple worship. It's perverse. It's twisted. There's remnants, archaeological remnants that support it, just how twisted this place was. And in this place, Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? Peter says, well, they say you're Elijah or John the Baptist, you know, resurrected. They're saying all these things about you. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the beginning of chapter 16. Jesus says, well, because of this, Peter, man, this is awesome. Upon this truth, I'm going to build my church. Gates of hell won't prevail. Boosts up Peter, encourages Peter. And then you'll read just a little farther down in that chapter, Peter thinks he's chummy with Jesus. Jesus starts talking about dying on the cross and giving his life as a ransom for the people. And Peter says, oh, far be it from you to do that, Lord. And also other translations say, How far be it from the Heavenly Father making that or allowing that to happen. And the construct there is that Peter is trying to pity Jesus and put self-pity in Jesus' heart. And you know what Peter, or how Jesus responds? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get behind me. I'm not, I'm not going to give in to self-pity. I'm living for purpose. I'm living for direction. I'm living under the glory, the help, the strength, the deliverance of my heavenly Father who's been taking care of me. I've been walking with him. I'm not going to get stuck in self-pity. Get that behind me, Satan. You're thinking only of yourself. You're thinking of other things besides the kingdom of God. It was a good little lesson for me to remember. Anybody in here with me? So let's just talk about a few things concerning this idea of murmuring versus complaining. And I don't want to get too negative with it. We're going to take communion in just a minute. But a, a murmuring ignores God's potential. And gratitude gets our eyes off of ourselves and helps us focus back on God. So in this story, the 12 spies, the report of the 10 spies reflects a godless perspective. God had opened the sea to save them, the heavens to feed them. And the rocks to provide water for him. And he had defeated mighty armies throughout the wilderness trek. He'd freed him, perhaps the most powerful nation on the planet. And certainly he could deal with any problems the new land might bring. Well, the, the thing is, they, they got their eyes off of God because look at God's plan never changed. God didn't send them into the promised land, and they come back and, and start spreading the report, and he said, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that. Oh, oh my gosh, I know I'm God, but I, I didn't see those things there. No, his plan never changed, just their focus changed. And so for you and me, when we, when we begin to murmur and complain, we can ignore God's, his potential and God's help in it and get our eyes off you know, off the promise, off of who God is, and back on our own weaknesses. Murmuring can take on a life of itself, and it amplifies to exaggeration and lies. Did you see as we're tracking this story, it starts off with just a bad report. It said, these guys are big, there's walled cities, but by the end, 
It says they were lying to one another about really what did happen. And then it turned into this, and not only that, our wives are going to be taken captive, and you're gonna, we're going to die in this desert, how it just went from this to this to this. It compounded, and it grew and grew, and it started as an exaggeration, and then it's amplified into lies and false beliefs and things about God that really did slander him, and it, and it wasn't good. That's why you got to nip some of that stuff in the bud right when it starts. When murmuring starts, you can't just feed it and give place to it. It grows, and it can be all-consuming when we take hold of that. But thanksgiving and praise keeps our focus where it belongs. Amen? Well, let's just look at a couple more of these quickly. Murmuring opens the door to a spirit of fear. And, and that spirit of fear is so, so infectious. John and Sarah are here. We, we were at the Young Life Camp up there a few weeks ago. And I think it was the last night, a Thursday night, one of the exercises was this. He said, everybody go outside, and we're going to turn the lights down at the whole camp, and we just want you to find a quiet space and spend 15 minutes alone with God. So I went out on the basketball court and, and laid down, and I'm looking at the Milky Way, or not the Milky Way, it's the, the Big Dipper, and it wasn't quite clear enough. You could see a little of that Milky Way. But I, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm having fellowship with God, and, and the Big Dipper points to the North Star, and I'm thinking about God's direction, and then I go, oh, that's a satellite. And then I'm thinking about God's goodness and, and all, all that. And so we're doing that for about 10 minutes, and then somebody shouts, bear! And in a heartbeat, 400 kids running in panic. I mean, like it was a stampede. <laughs> Off to the, the, the theater. Just in a moment, somebody saw a shadow and thought it was a bear, scream bear. Everybody's running. The kids from the inner city LA, I saw three of these guys climb up and they're on the high dive, huddled together on the high dive because somebody yelled bear. And fear can do that. Fear can get a hold of people. Fear travels. Fear, the bad report, gets a grip on other people's hearts. And that's what happened in this story where songs and praise and thanksgiving can silence the enemy. This is Psalm 8, 1 and 2. It said, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then he says this, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Other translations say his praise. So strength and praise tied together. And, and he even said, this is, comes from the mouth of babes, God. When they, when they get their focus on you, they begin to worship a baby can be strong in the Lord when a baby is praising. A young person can be strong in the Lord. You, it doesn't matter how old you are in the Lord, when you begin to praise, your enemy has to flee. Your enemy has to become silent. Your enemy has to shut up. That you might silence the avenger. So what's the antidote for just that weight, the murmuring, the complaining, just to begin to get grateful? God, I praise you that you've been faithful. God, I praise you. You've come through for me this time and that time, Lord. Your word says this. Get behind me, Satan. Get under my feet. I'm going to praise the living God who's going to deliver me just like he delivered me before. Amen? Cursing and complaining, this idea again, murmuring can lead to self-pity. Murmuring can cause us just to get our focus on us our focus on our condition, our focus on what we don't have. But, but gratitude keeps an eye on the big picture, that, that God is even working in the midst of my challenges and struggles. So gratitude turns me vertical. Gratitude gets my eyes in a different place, where murmuring gets my eyes right back on here in my circumstance and my situation. God judged murmuring because it slandered his name and it stumbled his people. 
you know, this idea, Jesus even talked about stumbling the little ones. He said, it'd be better that you'd go swimming with a millstone on your neck than to stumble a little one. Some of us think that might be causing young people to sin, get into drugs or alcohol because we tempted them that way. But just how about with murmuring lips where instead of teaching people to have faith in God and to trust God and to look to God, our words are encouraging him, sucks life out of him that you, he can't be trusted that he's not faithful, that he won't come through. Those are stumbling words. And God, he judged them because of that. But the obedient and grateful people received what he promised. How many want to receive what he promises? Amen? And this, again, I'm going to put it up here, but this is so strong when you read the whole thing, super strong. God says this, as I live. Man, that is a strong statement for God to say, listen, this is what I'm promising, as I live, says the Lord. Just have you spoken in my hearing, I'm going to do it for you. Man, that is strong. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. Wow. Talk about a judgment of seriousness concerning what we say about him, what we've declared over him, what we murmur about him, what we complain about to him. That's just a strong reminder for me. I know it's super heavy. Sometimes I just need in this head McFly. Sometimes I need it to be heavy. I need to get it. I need to understand what my words are creating and doing and the, and the impact they have and the impact they have on other people around me. I need to get it. And I need it to stick because the influence we have. Amen? You know, I, I just threw this in here because I know it's communion today, but I've, I've watched people you know, that we're serving God and strong and alone, get to a place where they will say, I want nothing to do with God. And if you're here today, I mean, I just want to warn you about these words that are coming out of your mouth. Because we get frustrated, we can get discouraged. I, I've been with people that are, you know, they haven't seen God come through like they thought he would come through, and they get talked out of their faith, and, you know, they're listening to arguments, and they're reading the negative stuff on, online, and it starts feeding their thinking and steals their faith where they get to a place that they say, I want nothing to do with God. And, and I just encourage you, if that's you today, forsake those thoughts. God said he'd give you higher thoughts. Don't, don't make that vow, that pledge. Don't seal this thing in your heart where you say, I want nothing to do with God because I promise you there is a place that was created for people that want nothing to do with God and you do not want to go there. There's a place that's got nothing to do with God. He said he would create it for the devil and his angels. And that place is a place of torment and fear and eternal just uh, you know, pain. There's no light. There's no music. There's no worship. People that joke about it, well, my friends will be there. Yeah, they're going to be in misery and tormented and in turmoil too. Maurice Rawlings, he's a cardiologist, he did a record of multiple people he resuscitated in the emergency room. Some had life after death experiences, positive ones, where they saw light and they saw God. Some had no experiences, but several had come back in torment because they had seen the other side, the darkness on the other side. And I just exhort you as pastor and somebody that loves your soul that you don't draw a conclusion that you want nothing to do with God. That's not the place you want to go. He loves you. He wants everything to do with you. He wants everything to do with reconciling you and, and wholeness for you. If you've been burned and hurt, and, and today we're going to take communion. Ushers, come pass out communion. I, I want you to get just trust that you get right there with God today. And then there's the pearl principle. You know, for a pearl to form, an irritation must begin. A sand grain begins. 
And so you can look at the stuff you're going through, and it's easy to murmur about it. It's easy to be discouraged by it. But there's a part of it that says, God, you could redeem this. God, you could strengthen me through this. God, you could bring a story out of this that could help other people, that could change me, that could bring grace to me, that could help me, Lord, in my future faith. You can do something with this, God. Instead of murmuring about it, I'm going to say, God, would you take this irritation? Would you turn it into something that would help me and help other people? Amen? Amen. So what do we do with complaints? They're going to come. Complaints are going to come. We don't live in an isolated world. There's stuff that's real. I promise you within 15 minutes of this service, there's going to be people, there's going to be opportunities to complain about something. You're going to go out to the kids' youth table. You're going to see that little cookie you saw before church, and somebody stole that from you. Somebody <laughs> took that from you. There's going to be opportunity to complain. There's lots of things. Somebody's going to cut you off in the parking lot. We've had accidents in the parking lot. Things happen. And so you have an opportunity. I have an opportunity. When we have complaint about somebody, what do we do? We pray first, not last. In praying, we should commit our problems to God's care and willingly wait for him to direct us in a solution. One thing just murmuring does, it, it brings you to false conclusions, it brings you to quick conclusions and false conclusions. And so when you pray first, you can say, God, help me to see this clearly. Help me to see this wholly. Help me see the big picture and not jump to conclusions about this thing. Number two, take your complaints as someone with the authority to rectify the situation. Sharing problems with those who are not part of the solution only stimulates murmuring and makes resolution more difficult. Over the years, 31 years I've been here now, there's been marriages in our church that were challenged, but when they were challenged, things were said, and people talked, and this about that, and this thing grew, and the, the, the situation grew, and people's opinions grew, and even when people were working on getting back together, they did not want to come back to church because they were concerned about things that were said and things that happened. Those stuff shouldn't be so. When we watch people go through challenge, man, we should be on our knees, God, move, devil, be bound. Get your lies out of the marriage, out of the relationship. We should be rooting and standing and pulling for each other and not the source of, amen, anybody with me on that? And so number three, direct others to sources of help. When people come to you with problems, encourage them to go to someone in authority before discussing their situations with any further. Beware of taking on other people's offenses. Wait, I'm, where's my pointer? See this right here? Beware of taking on other people on this side. Beware of taking on other people's offenses. Because it's easy to do. Somebody comes with a concern or a hurt, it's it's easy to take hold of that and, and to give life to that. And rather than going to the source and sorting out truth from hearsay or truth from exaggeration and getting it right so you're not impacted and other people aren't impacted. Amen? How are we doing, ushers? Are we getting close? Offering or not offering? Are you taking the offering? No, you're giving communion. Philippians 2, read this with me. Come on. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Th those last couple lines are huge. So Paul tells the church here, Try and do things without complaining and arguing because of this, because there's a culture around us, a depraved culture around us. So you've got to guard your words, your kingdom people now. 
And you're supposed to shine like stars in the universe. Our life, our example, our love walk, our relationship with God, I know this paints a big picture. This holds us to a high standard. But he says, your call, your generation called to shine like stars in the universe. But when there's complaining, arguing, murmuring, man, it does something to hinder. It does something to dampen, to taint the glory of the Lord that's supposed to be on us. Are you with me, church? And so it helps put me in check because we never know like who we're impacting, both good and bad. We never know who we're impacting. They're watching our lives. And when we're grateful and thankful and we stay in that zone, when we're, we're, we're walking in love with the Lord and in life with the Lord and we're choosing life, the impact we have shining on a generation that's depraved in darkness. Amen? So when we choose life, when we set before you life and death, blessing, cursing, choose life. Choose life. It impacts us. Choose life. It, it, it makes a better life for me, but it also has an impact on the depraved generation around us. Amen? We're not going to get here today. This is just, they're still passing communion out, so you get the three-minute version here. But I, I mentioned this last week, the impact that gratitude has on us emotionally has on us, well, just quickly while they're finishing, gratitude opens the door for more relationships. Statistics find people that are grateful. They, a 2014 study published by Emotion says that there's more significant relationships made to grateful people. It improves your physical health. Another study, uh, it proves your psychological health. Gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression in your life. Grateful people sleep better. Hallelujah. A 2011 study published in Applied Psychology and Health spend just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful sentiments before bed, and you'll sleep better. Grateful people, they have an increased mental strength, and it goes on from there. It's good to be grateful. Amen? Stand with me. I think we have our communion. Are you doing all right? Yeah. Hey, here's... A little prayer of gratitude. And Pastor Richard, you're going to help me out again? Here's just a little prayer of gratitude, maybe that we can pray before we take communion. And uh, I'll read it quickly, and then you can decide if you want to pray it together with us. It says, thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives, and thank you for your goodness and for your blessings over us. And thank you that you're able to bring hope through even the toughest of times and strengthening us for your purposes. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice that we might have freedom in life. Forgive us for when we don't thank you enough or for who you are, for all that you do and for all that you've given. Help us to set our eyes and our hearts afresh and renew our spirits. Fill us with your peace and joy. We give you praise and thanks for you alone are worthy. Anybody in there want to pray that with me as we pray it through? Come on, come on let's read together. Thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessing over us. Thank you that you're able to bring hope through even the toughest of times, strengthening us for your purposes. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice that we might have freedom and life. Forgive us when we don't thank you enough for who you are, for all that you do, and for all that you've given. Help us to set our eyes and our hearts on you afresh. Renew our spirits. Fill us with your peace and joy. We give you praise and thanks for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.